From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, April Philpotts. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope this episode finds you doing well. All right, here's a question. Who loves a good ghost story? I guess you could say I'm a sucker for a good story. Well, probably those rooted, though, most in history. When I was a child growing up in Harrison County, I often heard the ghost story of David Sheely, a man accused and convicted of killing his wife. I was frightened to think of his ghost roaming the county looking for, as the story goes, his missing bone. Kentucky is rich in stories like this, the tales that have been passed down from generation to generation, many times scaring the daylights out of us. I'm not sure that I believe in ghosts, and if you do, I'm not judging. We are all entitled to think what we think. As we approach Halloween, I wanted to talk with someone who loves a good ghost story and routinely brings those stories to life in Cynthiana for what has become a really popular venture, the Cynthiana Ghost Walks. And the man that does that, Roger Slade of Cynthiana. He wears many hats. He's a school teacher, a small business owner, and a man who loves history. In this episode of Uniquely Kentucky, I'm sitting down with Slade to talk ghost storytelling and how communities like his are using things like ghost walks to introduce outsiders to their hometown. Uniquely Kentucky with Amber Philpot is brought to you by the WKYT News and Weather apps, available on the App Store and Google Play. Roger Slade, if you're from Cynthia and Harrison County, you know that this guy wears a lot of different hats. Uh, if you could see the video that I'm talking to him right now, he's in his classroom because he is a school teacher. Uh, he also is the uh, one of the proprietors of our opera house there, Ross Opera House, a wonderful place. He's also, are you still the city commissioner as well? Yeah, I'm still on the city commission, yes. And he is a fellow that is a great storyteller, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Roger, welcome. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am good. I can't complain. Uh, it's always a treat when I get to talk to somebody from home. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on Uniquely Kentucky is, one, you do so many things there in Cynthia and Harrison County, but you have a really unique perspective when it comes to hauntings, ghost stories, and really anything spooky that goes on in town. Uh, and we're going to talk about that because we're on the heels of Halloween. Roger, you do something really cool. You have started these ghost walks in town and they've become hugely popular. How did that come about there in Cynthia? Well, uh, this is our 14th year, believe it or wow. not. And it started with my partner, one of my partners, James Smith, who's the mayor, and then our uh, other partner, Philip Nickerson. We had gone to some ghost walks in Charleston and Savannah years ago. And James said, you know, we could do this in Cynthia. And I said, well, you know, I know a few stories because I used to hang out with George Slade and Harold Slade and all those guys. Mm -hmm. So it was like four days later, he called me and said, well, the first ghost walk is scheduled for this Friday. We need to make it happen. And I was like, wow. So, the, you know, we had to learn the stories and get the, get the dates right. So the, the first night we went out, I actually had some notes written on my hand. He had some notes and that was 14 years ago. And we averaged about a thousand people each year. Wow. And about about 55% of those people are from out of town. That's fantastic. You know, that, that's one cool thing about a lot of communities in Kentucky. They are rich, not only in the history, but also rich in those stories and those ghost stories that have been handed down 
through the years. I mean, I grew up as a child knowing the David Sheely story and being terrified of that story. And that's one of the ones that you hit on. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about a couple of the stories that you really delve into on this ghost walk. Well, like you said, one of the biggest ones that's been going around since at least uh, 1894, because the first person who, who published it was Lucinda Boyd, and I'm sure it was an oral story that she published, is David Sheely. And like you said, almost everyone from Harrison County and Cynthiana, they know David Sheely and they have a story. There's so many different versions and settings of that story of David Sheely. So everyone likes that story when we share it. That one and the story of Margaret Gowdy are probably two of the, the better known ghost stories. All of our stories are historically accurate. They're, they're around actual events and actual people. But those two are two of the more popular ones. So for people that don't know, we'll start with the Margaret Gowdy story. For people who don't know, that is a really sad story about a young lady that um, is kind of cast off by her father and is put up in the attic, if you will. And it really um, takes a dramatic turn when things really come out more about the story, right? Yeah, it really does. Mar Margaret, she was, you know, to get into the story a little bit, she was born 1790. She was born in Scotland. Her mother passed away when she was young. They relocated to Harrison County about 1799. Father came over here, reminded him of his native Scotland. He was a respected man, but he was very stern, very strict. You know, everything was black or white, very, very kind of uh, just probably typical of a father at that time period. And Margaret, uh, the story goes, she grew up very beautiful by the standards of those days and nobody was good enough for her in her father's eyes. And then a, a young Scottish man was visiting town, went to the same church as Margaret, they fell in love. Uh, he was just passing through. And the father said, uh, I'm not going to give you permission to marry my daughter. I've got to send word back to Scotland. So, you know, you think about that time period, it would have taken weeks to get a letter back. The, the young man was okay with that and said, I'm going to go down south, take care of my business, and we'll come back. So during this time period, Margaret got sick. And, they, you know, she was, uh, her cheeks have sank in a little bit. She was losing her color. Belly was starting to protrude just a little bit, and, and Dad didn't notice it because he was so busy, but the, the town busybodies did. And one Sunday, she was at church early among the gravestones, and they, they surrounded her and let her know that the whole town was saying that she was with child and unmarried. And, you know, Margaret gets upset. She's crying. She runs back to her father's house. You know, he's going to take care of this for her. But the words of the gossips had already reached his ears that morning, and he was furious. So it says that he he threw her to the floor. She, she wore her hair in a, in a snood, which was a braid showing her, the outward expression of her maidenhood. And he stands over her and he, you know, he berates her and, you know, you wicked, wicked girl. It's a good thing your mother lies below the earth. And he locked her in the attic. Mm -hmm. Now she, she scarcely drank for three days and she wouldn't eat. And she kept proclaiming her innocence and her father wanting to believe her summons a doctor. The doctor comes, examines Margaret and says, yes, she's with a child about three months. And so the dates added up. Father's furious, puts her back in the attic and says, this, this is where you and that child will spend the rest of your days. Margaret continues to get sicker and sicker, weaker and weaker. And about three, four months being into this prison, her fiance shows up one night. So she throws open the shutters and he doesn't believe her either. He's already heard the rumors, ask why he betrayed her uh, or why she betrayed him. Mm -hmm. And she's begging, pleading for forgiveness, and he turns and walks off. So about eight, nine months being in this attic, so sick that she can't even come down the stairs anymore, the father realizes he's probably made a mistake. And ironically, he calls for that same doctor. 
Wow. And this time the doctor, yeah, the doctor examines her again and says, it's not a baby, it's a growth. It's some kind of tumor and we can't do anything about it. So Margaret, uh, we always say she asked for three things. She asked for her hair to be put back in the braid because her father wouldn't allow that. She asked upon her death that her body be examined, kind of an autopsy, which wouldn't have been, you know, standard in those days to prove it was innocent. And then she asked for her father to take down those words and her tombstone reads, here lies the innocence, though persecuted Margaret Gowdy. And she died about three days after that. She died on October the 12th, 1814. And they buried her there. And then it said after her story ceased to be told, her father had passed away, that a gentleman in the twilight of his life shows back up. And he asks about the Gowdies. And when they tell him the story, they tell him the date he went to this grave, read those words, and he threw himself on the ground. Mm. Starts clawing at the side, begging for forgiveness. Well, that gentleman, you know, almost, what would that be, 200 and... Six years later, he's still coming to the grave. The sightings there, people have, have witnessed this man begging for forgiveness at the grave. So, it, you know, it has to be the fiance that realized that Margaret didn't betray him, he betrayed her, so. As a kid growing up, I always heard that there, she had etched into like the wood, the beam in the house there, uh, something. Is there any truth to that? They, they say, um, Lucinda Boyd in her book, mm -hmm. that, that house was torn down about 40 years ago, I believe. And they said that she, that she wrote in the rafters, kind of like a diary, because she, she was only allowed to come down at night. Uh, and they said she would walk in the courtyard some. And then later on, she supposedly got so weak that her father, he wouldn't let her come down. And they say that there were writings on the, on the, the rafters of that attic. But uh, as far as I know, nobody yeah. recorded those or took pictures of them. So I would love to read what she had to write. Roger, where does this come from for you? Because you you love everything about this and you are really passionate. You know, there's a lot of people that quickly dismiss people that, you know, ghost hunt or, or do things, you know, paranormal activity, that kind of thing. But there are a lot of people that are very passionate about it. You are passionate, I know, about the history, but you also, there's something about all this you love. Where does that come from? Well, you know, growing up, like you said, in Cindiana, from an early age, you hear the story of David Sheely. That's the first one. And I, and I always loved a good ghost story. And, and I lived in a family that would share those. They would share the stories of houses they lived in and things that were strange and the boogeyman and that sort of thing. And then about 1992, I got involved at the Old City Cemetery for a restoration, which is where Margaret's buried. And I got to hang out with some local legends when it comes to history. George Slade, oh. Jim Bob Martin, James Saunders, Whaley's. Uh, Charlene Wilson, they're, they're all gone now. Mm -hmm. But I got to spend time with them and we would work up there and we would have lunch underneath the trees and they would just start telling stories and sharing experiences. So the love of, and, and from my father and mom, the love of the history came from them. And I've always been intrigued with, uh, you know, ghost stories. Is it true? Are there things you can't experience? And then, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough or unfortunate enough, depending on how you look at it, to, to have some experiences because I was one of those people who always wanted to believe it. Mm -hmm. And if you showed me a picture, I would say it's a cool picture. And I wouldn't doubt what you told me, but in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, did they doctor that picture? Mm -hmm. Are they embellishing that story a little bit? You know? So I started to have a few little, little things happen to myself that made me at least believe that there's something. So, but the passion more lies in with the history and the recording of, of the uh, you know, ghost stories are as old as man. You know, we've been telling stories around the campfires. Roger, why do people love ghost stories? Why do people love to do that? Sit around and just scare the daylights out of one another this time of year? I don't know. I think it's just, um, I think it's part of our heritage. You know, this time of year, I love a good ghost story any time of year, but it really peaks, 
it peaks in September and October. I think it's just part of who we are because, you know, anybody you talk to, even the non-believers, they all have, you know, I had a gentleman the other night was from, uh, he was up from Highland Heights. He was talking, we were walking on our walk and he was just talking and he said, I don't really believe in ghost stories, but you know, I had this happen. And my grandfather would always tell me this and he was, I don't know what to think of it, but I don't think it's ghosts. And I just think, um, Part of it today, I think, takes us back to that simpler time of uh, the oral tradition of just telling a story and sharing those experiences. And there, there are lots of common denominators, you know, uh, in a ghost story. They're, they're the ladies in white and the hitchhikers and the, the tragedy and whatnot. So I, I think it's just something that bonds us with our ancestors. And uh, just like the storytelling history, you know, the Haints in Eastern Kentucky and the Boogeyman. And I think it's just something that we all just, uh, it's kind of nice to, you know, I think you fall in love with it as a child. I'll tell it to my third graders. I'll tell David Sheely and, you know, their eyes are really big and, you know, and they, and they love it. And uh, I think it starts there. You know, as a child, I grew up, uh, the, the David Sheely story, I'll have you tell people a little bit about it so that they know, but uh, it's about a man that, you know, uh, is accused of killing his wife and, and Nancy is buried out at Mount Pleasant. And I grew up just a few miles from there. So you can imagine yeah. hearing that story all my life. Uh, and then there was always some question of where it actually happened, where their house was. And I was always told it was kind of near where we lived. And so you can imagine for me, I mean, growing up, I mean, you come Halloween, I'm like, uh, can we drive you know, faster past there? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So talk to me about the David Sheely story, because that one really is one that is rooted in a, a lot of storytelling, but a lot of history. And there was some question about that particular story on when it actually happened and how it was written. Uh, written down and recorded, right? There is some question. Uh, Lucinda Boyd, once again, mm -hmm. is the first person that we knew who published that story. And she says, and, and then um, Judge Swinford in Kentucky Lawyer added to it. And there's, a, there's some newspaper articles at around 1900 where they interviewed some people who were still, you know, some witnesses to the murder and the trial and that sort of thing. But in Lucinda Boyd's book, she says it was uh, June the 13th, mm -hmm. 1847. And if you look at the court records, uh, the tombstone says June the 6th for the date of death. And they don't put her name on there. They leave her maiden name on there. And at the bottom, it just says murder. So some of the dates, it could have been, you know, at that time period, obviously court records were handwritten and extremely hard to read. If you ever go back and look at some of that cursive they had, it's beautiful, but very hard to read. So there, there are some questions as to the date. We, we know it was June in 1847. And we've been told it was out around Crooked Creek between mm -hmm. Harrison County and, and uh, Nicholas County, and that they actually went fishing at Beaver Creek at the depot there, where I hear it's still really good fishing. And up until a few years ago, the, uh, the foundation of his cabin was still there. Mm -hmm. So it happened in that area out there on that, on that Sunday. It was a Sunday when it happened. And this is a story where it, it is rooted in the fact that there is a murder, but then someone came came forward on their deathbed and that's always been in question on on maybe David Sheely didn't really do it didn't really kill his wife someone else did it is that right supposedly there was a confession uh, Boyd is really uh you know part of a good ghost story there's enough historical fact there that you know it happened and she left just enough detail out to leave a question which makes a great ghost story and she says about 40 years later and she says in M, Kentucky, and we all think that's Maysville, but okay. she didn't say that a man on his deathbed confessed to the murder and said that David didn't do it. He did it. And this man supposedly 
was a, a witness to the murder and actually signed the papers. And we've been told, and this is just, you know, there's no proof of any of this. We've been told that that man's name was Byram Marshall. And if you look at the court records, there was a Byram, and sometimes it's spelled Brian. So once again, I think it depends on who recorded it. He was there, and he did, he did sign papers saying he saw the body. Now, you know, I don't want to wrongly accuse any of the marshals. I'm good friends with some of the marshals who still live in that area. Sure. But, you know, his, history tells us that it could be Byron Marshall. Um, I don't want to ruin a good ghost story, but George Slade did some research, and he left this world saying that David Sheely did do it. Mm -hmm. he, th he thinks David Sheely was a murderer and that he wasn't wrongly convicted. Now, there's some uh, – we don't know where David's buried. You know, there's some story that he was buried where they, where they hung him, which we think would have been either the Handy Farm or Grandview, which would have been part of that farm because it was a hill on the northeast side of town. And then um, there's been some speculation that he may have been buried at the old city cemetery unmarked because he was a murderer. Nobody would have, would have cared. We do know that his brother took the three children and moved to Texas. I always heard so just, that he was searching for a bone, like one of his bones didn't make it with the rest of him, and he was constantly that, that, of that bone. Yeah, at the end of the story, um, the, the daughter's doctor has inherited these bones that he's going to bury because his body had been exhumed, and, and they, used his, they used his bones in this practice as a skeleton. And she, had, she got haunted one night, and she buries the bones, but as she was crossing the creek, which I believe was you know Bessie Creek there around Flat Run, they said she tripped and spilled some of the bones and then she buried the bones and uh now supposedly we haven't heard from david Sheely since but you know who knows yeah who knows and it's pretty neat uh, it's pretty neat one of the the only thing he was ever quoted as saying is there's nobody here but you and me tonight wow and we do, what's you know what's he referring to who knows sure you so that's uh, a good story you are one of the, the, the folks that um, took a place that is so special to Cynthiana, which is the Ross Opera House. Um, and you guys have really breathed some new life into this place. But that particular place is haunted itself. And you've had some encounters there yourself with the lady in white that people see. Yes. So talk to me about the hauntings there at Ross Opera House. I should tell people this is our movie theater there, but you guys now do uh, plays and different productions there um, and really have breathed some life back into that place. It's awesome. Yeah, we've been there. We've been there about 15 years. Uh, it was kind of interesting. There's only been three owners of that building since 1895. It was the Ross family and then Mr. Whalen owned it for 50 years and now we own it. And it's always had a reputation of being haunted. One of the most, they say it's one of the most haunted locations in the state. Wow. Uh, we can't tell you why, you know, there, there are no uh, murders that we know of there um, that go back that far, but we have, people have interacted with this lady. And this is, this is the one thing that made me a believer. I worked there. I went back to school later in life. I was in my early thirties to pursue education. So I uh, was married with two kids, getting ready to student teach. Had to I had to work. So instead of have a full-time job, I had about four part-time jobs. And one of them was Opera House. And I, I started out cleaning at night. And then I worked my way up. They, they made me a projectionist. And there was one night that I was in the projection room. This was back when it was 35 millimeter. And uh, I, I got the, the balcony was closed because there was some damage to the building. You couldn't get to the balcony. And I look out. I've, I've got the movie started. I'm focusing it. And I look over and there's this lady walking into the balcony. She's, she's as solid as any person I've ever seen. I didn't think ghost didn't even cross my mind. And I thought, ma'am, you can't sit there. So I followed her into the balcony and she was not in the balcony and the balcony was just electric. I mean, it was one of those hair stands up on your arm and 
if, if anybody's ever been to the opera house, we bar the doors from the inside. So in order to get out, you raise a big bar, you got to set it to the side, especially when the balcony is not used, you know, we don't unbar that balcony. Uh, the balcony was still barred, you know, it was one way in and one way out. And this lady went into the balcony, but she didn't come out. So that's when I kind of became a believer of our lady of the lady in white lady of the opera house. We call her two different things. We have no reason. We don't know why she's there. Um, she tends to be attached to the older part of the building, the, the 1871 part, because she, she looks kind of Victorian. Mm -hmm. You know, years ago, uh, I was allowed to come there and bring a teen medium that was sort of known for, you know, going around to different places, seeing what she could kind of feel. And, and you know, it was interesting being there. You know, I didn't know what to think going into it. I didn't know how real is this? What am I going to think watching? And watching her move through that building, and especially going upstairs, um, I think it's open now, but maybe it wasn't at that time. And I'll never forget, she said, you know, I'm in here and, and there are people in here playing cards. There are a lot of people sitting, you know, and I just thought, I still don't know if I believe it. I yeah. don't know what I felt. I mean, and I'm not dismissing it by any means. I just don't know what I felt. And it was, yeah. uh, it was one of those things like you kind of, I'm guessing, like you said, like until you see it, you don't really know what you're going to think about it. Right. Yeah. That's how I've always been. I love the ghost story. And until I was, until I had that experience. You know, and I, and I still wonder sometimes, you know, what did I see? Did you see mm -hmm. something? Did you want to see something that you created this? But, you know, it, like I said, she was solid. So, yeah, I tell, we, we've had people come in our building who are skeptics mm -hmm. and they leave as skeptics. And we've had people come in as skeptics and at the end, because we have people who spend the night there all the time and, you know, they investigate and we, you know, there are some who come and they leave and they say, it was cool. Things happened. I don't think it was a ghost. And then we have some who come in, like, I don't believe in anything, and they leave and they're like, okay, I saw some things I can't explain, or I witnessed some things I can't explain. So it is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, one of the areas, the old log cabin that's right there, you know, that was my very first job working there. I never had anything crazy happen, but I know that there have been people that have worked over there through the years that have some unexplained experiences for sure. Is that one of the stops on your, on your ghost walk tour? Yeah, we stopped there. We talk about, um, that's a lot of people have had, I worked there in sales for a while early on and I never had any experiences when that was in that building, but everybody always shared their experiences. Yeah. We stopped there. Um, the first encounter there takes place about 1920. George Slade actually shared that story. He was, he crawled underneath the building to get bottles for a bootlegger. His uncle was a bootlegger and he would pay George a nickel for these glass bottles where the building was empty at the time. And, uh, the story goes, George was underneath there one day, the building was empty. And he hears somebody walking upstairs uh, above him. And he's thinking, I'm going to get in trouble because he's about 10. He's trespassing. Building, and so he, he starts to crawl out. And he, as he gets to the door where the crawl space was, there was no basement at this time, but there was a deep crawl space. He hears an elderly woman. And she says, are you there, Mike? And he says, yes, Elizabeth, I never leave. So he, it kind of scared him. Mm -hmm. And he went and he said he would bring his cousin with him. And that they would share in the profits. Well, he did some research. And the builder of that cabin or the person who had that cabin built was Dr. James McFeeters, who was known as Mac and his wife was Elizabeth. So if George were still here, mm -hmm. he would tell you that the original occupants are there. And then one of the DJs who used to work there, uh, one of the lady DJs, who's kind of a local legend in Harrison County, mm -hmm. I, I won't say her name to keep her anonymous, but you know who I'm referring to, uh -huh. I'm sure. Uh, she actually experienced right after Mr. Anderson's death. Mm -hmm. She was on the she was on the air one day and she looked up in the glass in between the the booths and he was standing behind her and she wow. turned to speak. 
then she remembered, wait a minute, I, I went to his funeral about two weeks ago. And she actually got interviewed and recorded that, that story. So that's a pretty active building. We actually, it was kind of interesting, you brought that up two weeks ago on the ghost walk. Uh, we were telling the story and people snapped pictures. The building was empty. Mm -hmm. And the lady, uh, Harrison County right now has, has skeletons everywhere. That's our theme this year. Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably about 140 skeletons downtown. But there was a skeleton up on the uh, balcony. She was taking a picture of the skeleton and right behind her in the window is, is, is a very clear face of a woman. And she, no. was like, what did I, she was like, what did I just catch? And she showed it to me. Uh, she showed it to me instantly. So there was no way she could have doctored it. So it was pretty cool to see that. And we looked up there and there, there's nobody in the building. This was you know, 930 at night. Wow. That was pretty what, cool. What is it like for you, somebody who, you know, that, that you love having these people come down, you love telling these stories. And when you can see something like that on one of those walks, I mean, that's got to be crazy. It is crazy. And sometimes, though, people will show you stuff and you can debunk it really quick. Mm -hmm. um, we have a patina on the back of our wall at the theater. And if you catch it just right with the flash, it looks like a man who's bent over. I mean, it looks just like a man. And I have seen that picture about 50 times and people will say, Oh my God, look what I caught. And then I have to break their heart. And I'm saying, yeah, that's the, and we can recreate it. But if you get something that you can't explain, right. It's, it's really cool. And, and they get pretty excited about it. One of the things I want to talk to you also about is this is fantastic, but you know, times are tough right now. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, you are a small business owner. Your wife is a small business owner. Um, what does it mean to be able to do things like these ghost walks right now and still be able to bring people in in a socially distanced way and let people experience the small town that is Cynthiana and the county, Harrison County? Well, I mean, it's wonderful. Cynthiana, as you know, we've, uh, we've been on a comeback for about the last six years. You know, if you've been downtown, shops and restaurants have opened and they've been successful. And a lot of that is due to the right people in the right places, our chamber director, our main street director, and then people just saying, Hey, I've always wanted to do this and open it and, and trying it, opening the business. And, you know, when, when March the 6th hit, I remember that, you know, we first case in Kentucky, uh, we were like, Oh man, are we going to be able, and then when the governor had to start putting in the mandates and the clothes, you know, we had, you had to be careful. So as a small business owner, you start thinking, okay, how are we going to continue to do this? Because uh, we had to cancel a lot of events. You know, we had to cancel our ride run, our summer concert series, things that were bringing people in. But, you know, Cynthiana has been fortunate. We stick together. We've supported the small businesses. As a theater, you know, Hollywood is still not releasing movies. And we were just looking the other day, you know, about 50% of all theaters in the nation are closed right now. Uh, and it's tough. We've been fortunate. We had to get creative. We did, um, we did curbside popcorn. You would, you would be surprised at the people who would drive up to buy popcorn on a Friday and Saturday night because the bills kept coming in. And we would have people buying popcorn. They would come and they'd say, I can't eat popcorn, but I'm taking this to the hospital or I'm taking this to the fire department or I'm taking it to my mom. So that was really good. And then we really questioned, uh, were we going to be able to do our ghost walks safely? because mm -hmm. uh, in the past we would have 50 55 60 people in a group and we did two a night on Fridays and Saturdays so we changed it to 25 per tour and we do them every half hour instead of every we do four a night instead of instead of two oh uh, you know we have people wear a mask as a storyteller we wear a mask obviously because we're projecting our voice but it's been really cool people have a it's always been successful this year we're we have four more this weekend and we're knocking on the, we're knocking on that thousand number again. We'll probably exceed that this year. 
and people are wanting to get out and I think they appreciate that we're doing it in a safe way. And, uh, you know, we offered some other tours this year uh, beyond the bricks and a, and a history and headstones. And they've been really well received. And a lot of people are coming from out of town. And it feels really good uh, to let people experience Cynthiana. And also, you know, I'll be honest, you know, the wolves come knocking on the door for a small business in January and February. So this, this is going to get us through because we don't know what's going to happen with Hollywood movies. Absolutely. You know, you have been able, and this is for me, you know, watching social media and watching you guys, you also have, have been able to do something really special. I know the capacity is down, but within the movie theater, you've been able to um, introduce a whole new generation of people, of youngsters, to a lot of different movies that maybe they would have never, ever seen on the big screen. And that's really cool. It is cool because people under 40 don't go to movies. I mean, the studies will show you they, my son who grew up in the theater, now he, he'll go to a blockbuster, you know, he's a, he's an Avenger fan, that's Marvel movies, that sort of thing. But you know, if he can watch it on his tablet or his phone, he'll watch it on his tablet or his phone because it's right there. So some movies are made to be seen on the big screen. You know, you, you've got to see star Wars on the big screen. You've got to see avatar. You've got to see those. So what we've been doing, uh, Hollywood did decide to open the vaults, and they, they let us get um, some of those older movies. And we, we chose to bring some of those in. We've, you know, we've shown uh, The Goonies, uh, Hocus Pocus. And what's been really cool is people who grew up in that theater, like you said, they're bringing their kids. And they're kind of like, hey, I saw this movie here in 92, and now I'm bringing her. And it is bringing a whole new generation in to experience, you know, surround sound, big screen. Some of these movies are great on TV, but they're, they're unbelievably great when you see them on the big screen. You know, there's something to be said about a movie theater like the Ross Opera House because there's something really special. You know, I came down, what was that last year when uh, Burning Kentucky, you guys did yes. um, uh, uh, let that movie be played there. And that was a film that is um, written and produced, you know, by local folks here in Kentucky. And to be able to see something that is set then also in Kentucky and be able to see it in a local theater, man, there is nothing like that. And I really had one of those moments where I kind of took a moment, Roger, and I looked around at everybody enjoying something like that yes. in that type of place. It's really special. It is special when there's a full house, you know, and right now our full house is limited to 25%, but sure. when there's a full house there for a movie or a play, um, it, the energy is really cool and it's neat just to watch movies with people. And one of the trends and COVID put a, um, it stalled this, but it didn't stop it. One of the things we're wanting to work with some local people from the, the Boyd station project, you know, Jack Gruber from, from USA today, mm -hmm. we're looking to start a, uh, a film festival for the area. Cause right now so many people are, you know, you have, um, there was a movie in Kentucky called Moonbow, which was mm -hmm. shot at Cumberland Falls and it was shot on a galaxy S nine phone. Totally. That's all they had. And when we watched it, I went in with low expectations of quality. It was an excellent horror film. It was a horror film. Mm -hmm. And when the guy, the director was there and the producer, he said, we did all this on a cell phone. So, you know, the technology is there now. And there are so many people, that younger generation who doesn't like to watch them on the big screen, likes to put them on the big screen. Yeah. So that's one of the next things we're looking at is these film festivals. So we can, we can honor some of these local films from Kentucky. You know, I remember I had those guys on, uh, the, the guy that did that film on this podcast and he came in and, and we did the interview and I was like, there's no way. But, you know, we shoot a lot of our videos sometimes if we have to on an iPhone and it can be done. Yes. 
And when I saw it, I was like, there's no way this is going to be worth watching. And it is. It's, it's pretty good. So, it's the editing afterwards. It's the editing afterwards yeah. that makes the magic. It makes the magic. You're right. Roger, do you find that in this COVID world where, you know, people are being asked to be a little bit, you know, be healthy at home, stay home more, that people have come to appreciate the place that they call home. And if it is a place like Cynthiana, they've come to appreciate it more and they want to learn more about it and they do want to get out and explore it a little more. I think so. Um, Cynthiana, you know, you don't want to say you flourished during the pandemic, but we've, we've done okay yeah. that we've taken care of our own and new businesses are continuing to open. Uh, people are moving here. And it, we really have that hometown feel. And I really think I, I'm going to make a prediction. So maybe people 10 years from now listening to this podcast, I think you're going to, I think you're going to see the trend go from the big box stores, go from the malls. Uh, I think internet shopping is still here. You know, people can go on Amazon and click it and it's here tomorrow. But I think you're going to see the trend back to these downtowns with the mom and pop shops, the specialty shops, the things you can't buy on, on an Amazon or the things that are there. I think we're going to see that even more um you know i keep up with some of the small towns around us you know bourbon county and falmouth and those areas and even carlisle and they've each got their they're really starting to promote their downtowns and you know we're promoting each other so i think COVID, uh you know when you were stuck in i was stuck in for a few months like everyone else did a lot of reading a lot of wondering and a, a lot of virtual teaching <laughs> but you know you you miss what you had, you know, you, you miss going down and getting a cup of coffee and you miss seeing somebody at the local hardware store and you, and you miss showing a movie. So I, I do think it caused us to realize it's kind of like you don't, you don't know what you have till it's gone. Yeah. And I think people miss it just enough to really appreciate it because it's, uh, they're coming back stronger than ever. I and mean, we're planning, you know, hopefully we get this thing under control because the plans we have for next year uh, downtown are, are huge. You know, we're going to take it to the next level. So. Well, you know, I may be biased, but I think that you guys have certainly done a great job and, and not just in COVID, but just in what there is something really special happening in downtown Cynthia. And I knew it this past Christmas when I came down for the Christmas parade and I was walking the streets and it just there was something really special. So I know I'm biased and I know that um, that I love home, but you guys have really done something good and I hope to see it continue. Um, well, I mean, I'm. I'm I'm biased too, obviously, yeah. but you know, you can see it. You know, I, yeah. I went through the period where you would go downtown and there were 19 empty business buildings downtown, you know, and you were wondering, man, what's going to happen? And you go downtown now, we have waiting lists for people wanting, they call me all the time. Is there anywhere we can, we want to open a business. Is there anywhere we can open? And I'm like, man, I don't know. Let's look. So, you know, you can be biased, but uh, yeah. the proof's in the pudding. And Absolutely. if you come down and you walk Pike street and, and main street and Walnut street, you see it, you see it. Well, let me get back is that I'm going to let you go because the man is sitting in his classroom and he's been there all day and I want him to go home because he's going to have to go back soon. Um, tell me, what's your favorite ghost story? My favorite ghost story to tell is Margaret Gowdy. Is it? We get the more, we get more reaction out of that, uh, especially from the women. Okay. When we have a, when we have a big, uh, my favorite one to tell, but my favorite story is the story of the little boy the 1812 building who went missing in 1893. And it has just, it's another one of those stories that you can't prove it, but there's just enough facts. We know there was a fire. We know this band was in town. We know this was a hotel. Um, and the boy was never found. His clothes were never found. The body was never found. So I've always wondered 
what happened to him because his family was actually at our place, Aeolian Hall, which was the opera house at that point. Uh, they were actually there, whatever, whatever was happening to their son was happening. So I think it's that connection to the theater and that unknown. Mm -hmm. So my favorite, one to, my favorite one to tell would be Margaret Gowdy. And the one that intrigues me is the, the boy at the 1812 building. Because my wife had her shop there for a little while when mm -hmm. she first opened. And uh, I, I think you actually came there with your mom one time. I probably and, did. Uh, yeah. You did. And, and the room you all were in was the room he would have entered. Um, okay. To go, yeah, to go up to his room there on Main Street when you all came to paint one time. Yeah, we were painting yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, I had no idea. idea. Yeah, that's the building where the little boy went missing. Okay, how cool. So that's, uh, that's the one that intrigues me the most. Well, Roger, if people want to uh, keep up with you guys and they want to know more about, you know, obviously I know we're coming, as this is being released, it is the week of Halloween, but, um, and the ghost story, the, the ghost walks are winding down. But if people want to keep up with you and things are going on throughout the year, what's the best way to figure out what's going on? Well, we have our website, which is www.rossoperahouse.com. Now the Ross is spelled R-O-H-S, but it's, it's pronounced like Ross. And then probably the best way is we're, we're active on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where we get most of our information. We have a ghost wall, there's a Cynthia ghost wall page. And then there's the, the Ross Opera House page. Uh, you know, we do uh, movies, we do plays whenever we can get those back. We're getting ready to be able to stream things. So we, we might be able to have some concerts where there might not be anybody in the theater, but we'll be streaming it to people. So a streaming service is coming up. So best way would be Facebook or follow us on the web. That is fantastic. Well, man, keep it up. Um, you guys are a bright spot to what other um, small towns can certainly look to and what you're doing. And, you know, this is just one of those times where, you know, we're talking about scary stories, but it's also really cool just to, to learn more about the place that you call home and just to figure out what those stories are there if you've never taken the time to do it. Yeah, we always tell people, um, all of the stories we tell you are historically accurate. The dates, the people, the events. And I always say, as far as the ghost, you be the judge. But we're gonna share we're gonna share history with you, you know, and you can look them up, you can read the newspaper articles, you can find out about these people that supposedly, you know, haunt our downtown. And we the cool thing is, and we keep wondering how we're gonna do we haven't scratched the surface of the ghost stories in Indiana. They're everywhere. Well, you've got to be around for a lot more years to be able to tell yep. those stories, all right? That's the plan. Roger Slay there in Cynthia, and appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you talking to me.